Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us to listen to this message. Whoever you are and wherever you're listening from, we trust that you'll be equipped, envisioned and encouraged as you listen today. just want to welcome you and also to um, just to say a hello to everybody who's listening on the podcasts, especially if you're listening in a different country or in a different city in the UK. And just to say, if we can help you in any way, please get in touch with us. Amen. Especially if you're listening in Nottinghamshire or in Northamptonshire, please get in touch with us if we can help you. I'd love you to turn, please, to um, Genesis 37. And um, now this is where those of you that haven't got a real Bible with you are going to come unstuck, and you will finally start to submit and surrender, because I'm going to ask us to turn the pages, and you can't do that on a device. Um, that's my title this morning, Unleash Your Superpowers, okay? We won't be ripping our shirts off or anything like that. However, we are going to be looking at some superpowers that are resident here amongst us, which need unleashing. And um, we're going to look at the story of Joseph. And I'm going to ask you to turn the pages. Joseph's story in the, the back the back portion of um, Genesis, the book of Origins, Joseph's story runs from chapter 37 all the way through to chapter 50. And, uh, you know, apart from the space devoted to Abraham, nobody has a more detailed biography in in the Old Testament apart from Joseph. And in the whole of the Bible, apart from Jesus himself, and Paul, nobody else has more space devoted to their story than Joseph. It tells me that this man's story and the principles and the lessons contained in it really matter. I read a little comment on it uh, by somebody who said, "This, this story of Joseph is at once the most artistic and fascinating of the Old Testament biographies. It's a fabulous story. Just put your hands up if you would say, roughly, I know what Joseph's story is about. Okay, a lot of us will be familiar with it. Um, And uh, let's just turn the pages. Chapter 37 is, is where the story begins. Joseph is Jacob's 11th son, 11 in in a series of 12. Uh, But the first son by his wife, Rachel, who was the, who was his, his favorite wife, the one he loved the most, his beloved wife, Rachel. And and Joseph, because he is Rachel's first son, becomes uh, Jacob's favorite son. And and for that reason, he's hated by his brothers. And in in chapter 37, Joseph has two dreams. And in both dreams, he dreams that his brothers will bow down to him. You can imagine that doesn't go down too well. 
He's the, he's the second youngest, and uh, having ten older brothers bow down to him is, um, is, does not go down well with those brothers. Anyway, we read in chapter 37 that Jacob sends Joseph uh, to find his brothers who are shepherds, and they've traveled some distance, and Jacob goes to find them in the fields, and they plot to kill him. Uh, they call him a dreamer because of his dreams. They plot to kill him, and then, and then one of the brothers speaks up and says, no, we shouldn't do that. Let's just, let's just um, leave him in this pit, in this cistern, in this well in the ground, and somewhere out in, in the somewhere, there's a pit in the ground, and Joseph is placed in the pit. He comes to them, of course, wearing that cloak of many colors, that, that princely robe that his father had made for him. So Joseph's put into the pit, and then um, they see some Ishmaelite or Midianite traders who've come from quite some distance, and they see these, these uh, Ishmaelites coming along, and they decide to sell Joseph. They pull him out of the pit, and they sell him to the Midianites for 20 pieces of silver. And then they go home and they trick their father Jacob into believing that Joseph has been killed by a wild animal. Meanwhile, and this is how chapter 37 ends, the, the Midianites, look at verse 36, they go to Egypt and they sell Joseph in Egypt uh, to a man named Potiphar, who is uh, one of Pharaoh's, King Pharaoh, the, the, the king of Egypt, he's one of Pharaoh's chief officials. Chapter 38 is a little bit of a break, and then we come back in chapter 39, and what we find there is that Joseph excels in Potiphar's household, and the Lord is with him, and the Lord gives him success and favor, and he becomes Potiphar's personal attendant with authority over all Potiphar's possessions, and Potiphar's house is blessed because of Joseph. We'll come on to that. But Potiphar's wife repeatedly tries to seduce him. It says in verse, um, uh, I think it says in verse uh, 30, uh, 39, is it? Verse 10, yeah, although she spoke to Joseph day after day. When you read, when you try and work out the time scales, he was probably serving in Potiphar's household for maybe a few years even. And um, this, uh, this wife of Potiphar is trying to get her to go to bed with him day after day. But he resists. He repeatedly resists the temptation. And, and just to say this, God will entrust the rule over others to those who've proved they can rule themselves. We'll come back to that. And at one time, um, she, uh, nobody else is in the house, and uh, she uh, tries to seduce him again, and he runs away from her. But as he runs, she gabs, grabs his garment, doesn't she? And when, when her husband Potiphar, his master, comes home, she says, that, that Hebrew that you, that you have, he's tried to seduce me. Look, here's his garment. Here's the proof that he, he came into my room and tried to seduce me. And as a result of that, Joseph is imprisoned. And uh, guess what? In the prison, God gives him great success. And the prison warden hands over all the responsibility of looking after all the other prisoners to Joseph. And just like Potiphar, he has nothing to be concerned about when Joseph's in charge. Chapter 40, um, Joseph is joined in prison by two other officials. Uh, these are Pharaoh's two, two of his servants, the cupbearer and the baker. And in the prison, the cupbearer and the baker both have a dream. And they ask Joseph to interpret the dream, and Joseph 
accurately interprets the dream and he says the meaning of the dream is this, that the cupbearer in three days' time, you're going to be restored into your position and you're once again going to be putting the wine into the hand of, of your master, Pharaoh. And the baker, uh, in three days' time, um, it's uh, final. You will not be restored. And, and as these two other men are taken out of prison three days later, uh, Joseph says, when you're out, please remember me to the cupbearer, please remember me. Please put a good word in for me. And that's uh, chapter 40. But chapter 41 begins this way. Two years later. For two years, um, he's forgotten. He's not remembered. Despite all he did to uh, encourage that, the, the cupbearer. Two years later, then Pharaoh has two dreams. And none of the magicians, none of the wise men can interpret the dreams. And then the cupbearer remembers. I was in prison once. And there was a Hebrew there who interpreted the dream I had. And it all came to pass, just as he said. So Joseph is taken out of prison, finds time to shave, goes to see Pharaoh, and accurately interprets Pharaoh's two dreams. In fact, both dreams have the same meaning. There's going to be seven years of great abundance in the land, and then there'll be seven years of terrible famine in the land. And... Um, Joseph goes beyond the interpretation of the dream, or he, he, he works with it, and he says, so what you need to do, Pharaoh, is this. You need to find a wise man who's able to administrate well, who's able to know what to do, and, and, and you should appoint that person in charge of the whole of the land, and during the seven years of great abundance, let uh, one-fifth of the harvest every year, let one-fifth of the crop, one-fifth of the grain be stored up so that at the end of the first seven years there's a tremendous surplus of grain and then during the seven years of famine all this grain can be used to keep the country alive, keep the nation alive. And Pharaoh's, it's, 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 this would make a great sort of um, comedy sketch, wouldn't it? Pharaoh says, where could such a man be found? <laughs> And, uh, of course, Joseph is appointed to the position. And he's given authority over everything. And, and it goes on to say, towards the end of chapter 41, that during the famine, the whole world came to Joseph in Egypt. And then the next few chapters, 42, 43, 45, 46, Jacob, back in, um, back in Canaan, he hears, there's a famine there as well, and he hears that there is grain in Egypt. And so he sends his ten oldest sons to buy some of the grain, and they meet Joseph, and it says they bow before him, which is just what Joseph had dreamt. And they don't recognize him, but he knows who they are, and through some, uh, some questions, and he, he speaks through an interpreter, so they have no idea who they're speaking to, he comes to realize these are ten of his brothers, their father Jacob is still alive, and he instructs them to bring back Benjamin, who, who is his full brother, is Rachel's other son. And he says, uh, uh, first of all, bring back, your, bring back your youngest brother, and they bring him back, and some more dialogue, and then he says, now, now bring back your father Jacob, and he reveals himself to them, and he discloses who he is, and there's lots of weeping. Bring back your father, and uh, they're terrified of what, uh, what might happen, and he assures them this, verse 40, uh, chapter 45, verse 5. He says, God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. And he asks them to bring back Jacob and to resettle in Egypt, and they do that, and 
God speaks to Jacob in a dream and urges him to go. And then uh, the last three chapters, last four chapters, 47, 48, 49, 50, you find Joseph is selling the seed that he's stored up, the grain, the seed, he's selling it to the Egyptians. He sells it in return for land so that all the land becomes Pharaoh's. Jacob settles there and, um, and dies in the, in the land and then in, in Egypt. And then Joseph's brothers bow down to him again, offer themselves as slaves. That's in chapter 50, verse 18. But again in verse 20, he reassures them. Don't be a, let, let's just read this. Verse 18, verse, chapter 50, verse 18. Then his brothers also came to him, bowed down before him, and said, We are your slaves. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. And that's pretty much where the story ends. It's a tremendous story, isn't it? And it's given, as I say, apart from Jesus, apart from Paul, apart from Abraham, it's given the most space of any biography in the Bible. It's a story of a man taken from the pit right up to the palace, a man of destiny who's raised up at a critical moment in his nations or in his nations and in Egypt's history, and the hand of God is ordering events to bring this servant to the throne at just the right time. It's the favor of God on a man's life to give him success wherever he is, and to fulfill his dreams. And I don't know whether you spotted this or the thought crossed your mind, but Joseph is a type of Christ. He's an image of Christ. He, he's a man who's betrayed, despised, and discarded by his brothers. He's a man who's sold for silver. And as I've read this story this week, I felt the Lord has emphasized some things some keys in Joseph's story that I believe for all of us, all of us in this room, will be really significant for us. I spoke at, at the Bible Week about moving out of maintenance and into mission mode. These things will be important. They are, um, if you like, three powers, three amazing superpowers, three... Um, they're not hidden things, they're not even secret things, but they're, they're often unfulfilled things. Three, three amazing powers that we have that we must unleash in these days, okay? And the first is this, and, and you probably guessed this one, it's the power of your dream. The whole of this story is, is the story of Joseph's very first dreams being utterly fulfilled. Maybe he was a little unwise to share it with his brothers. Maybe that wasn't the, the best thing, but he was a 17-year-old boy at the time. Maybe he should have done what, uh, what Mary does when, when the angels start to speak to her about her, her son's destiny. It says she pondered these things in her heart. In fact, it says that Jacob, when, when Joseph tells his father Jacob the dream, it says Joseph kept all these things in mind. But this, Joseph's dream and those other dreams feature strongly in this story. Let me just make a few comments about 
dreams. We should expect to receive dreams. And um, God leads us and God guides us and God, God speaks to us in dreams. And um, that might be a literal dream. That might be when you're asleep, a literal dream. That, that would be utterly biblical. If you read the opening chapters of Matthew's Gospel, you'll find everything is ordered and directed through dreams people are having. Expect God to sleep to speak to you in your sleep, in dreams. But if I could just broaden that idea, God speaks to us in our dreams, in our stirrings, in the burdens we carry, in the things that, that convict us, that give us a sense of calling. God speaks to us in our dreams, through our dreams. God gives us dreams. And uh, I don't know how many of you would say, I don't know, let, let's, let's do a little thing. I'm going to ask you whether you feel you're younger or older. Okay, hands up if you'd say you're younger. Hands up if you'd say you were older. I'm going to have to go on this one. Just, um, just by logic. Am I the only one? Hands up, older people. Because you see, um, the book of Joel, quoted in the book of Acts, says older men will dream dreams. Okay, I'm going to say it again. Hands up if, you, if you're older. So we're candidates for dreams. In fact, that is a manifestation of the baptism in the Spirit. That's precisely what, what Peter is trying to describe and explain to them on the day of Pentecost. Quoting from the book of Joel and telling them that the older men should expect to dream dreams. Maybe literally while we're asleep. Well, literally while we're asleep. But also just the dream that starts to fill your imagination starts to uh, give you projection in life, the dream of God. Amen. I don't know what your dream might be, leading your family and friends to Christ perhaps. Maybe, maybe there's a dream there. Maybe, maybe there's a dream to set up a business that will really do good. Maybe there's a dream to write a book or publish that poetry or to know a prophetic anointing come upon you, or to work with the disabled, or to qualify as a teacher or a doctor or a, or a vet or a nurse. Maybe you've a dream to serve as an elder. If anybody aspires, that is a noble thing. Or maybe to, to work in administration in God's house. Or maybe you dream of a healing ministry. Maybe you dream to relocate and be part of a, of a new church planting. Could be all sorts of things. Be, be sure the dream you're dreaming is God-given. Not fancy, not fantasy, but a God-given dream. How will you know? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Joseph had two dreams. Pharaoh has two dreams. And in fact, concerning Pharaoh's dreams, if you look at chapter 41 and verse 32, uh, Joseph says, because Pharaoh has dreamt this twice, it means it, it's been determined by God. And there's a principle of two or three witnesses. If it's God-given, there'll be more than one witness to it. God, God speaks in so many ways, doesn't he? God, God might speak in a dream. 
God might speak through a, a preached word. God might speak to you as you're reading the scriptures. God might speak to you in a prophetic word. God might speak to you in the counsel of the elders. God will, if, it, if it's a God-given thing, it will be confirmed for you two or three times. When the Lord called me out of my, uh, my old, mother, my other work, into what I'm doing now, and started to speak about what the future would involve, he spoke very clearly, very precisely, in three very distinct ways. One of them was a dream. And then another was in reading the scriptures, and, and in reading something that suddenly, as you read it, this is just not the normal enjoyment of scripture, something is born inside you. You know that feeling? You read something, it comes alive in a way that you say, God, I think, God, I think the Lord is speaking. And then, and then thirdly, through a, through a completely other kind of incident in talking with somebody and, and seeing a, a newspaper headline that exactly summarized in a few words the dream God had given me. As I'm telling this person I'm speaking to about the way God is speaking, he picked up a newspaper. He said, it's a little bit like this, isn't it? And there was a, there was a newspaper headline. It said, Lambs, lambs Slaughtered. God had been speaking to me about what he wanted to do in gathering sheep, and some of you may have heard that story before. And then I went to see the elders. I spoke with Brian Shutt at the time, who, who heard what I said and said, I believe that's the word of God to you. God will give you a dream. It will be confirmed. I'm not saying it will involve all those things, but God will confirm it. And so we must know that our, the dream we're pursuing is God-given. It will leave you stirred. It will leave you excited on the inside. It will leave your imagination buzzing because God has spoken a dream into your life. Chapter 42 and verse 9, when Joseph is now um, meeting his brothers, it says, Joseph remembered his dreams. I want to urge you, friends, if God's given you a dream, don't forget it. Don't let go of it. It will come to pass. It may take time. You may seem overlooked. You may feel forgotten. That might go on for two years or more. You may even be imprisoned or feel imprisoned, but your dream can never be imprisoned. You may feel shut away unfairly, but nothing can shut your dream away. Keep, let's keep our dreams in our forefront of our thoughts and our imaginations and, and feed them. And then let me just show you this. I know I'm dotting around a little bit, but chapter 40, verse 8, where um, the two fellow prisoners share their dreams with Joseph and say, um, there's no one to interpret them. Joseph's reply is this, don't interpretations belong to God? I could put, try and explain this. The way, let God interpret your dream. Don't receive a God-given dream and then try and work it out your own way. Try and put your own uh, flavor on it. Let God be the interpreter of the God-given dream. Let the Lord open the doors. Let the Lord show you how the dream out works. Chapter 39. Although she spoke, verse 10, although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. 
Resist every temptation that will ruin your dream. However obvious it is, however subtle it is, don't let money or sex or power or ambition kill your dream. Don't give away your dream and swap it for a nightmare. Just to say that again, don't give away your dream and swap it for a nightmare. If any offer comes your way that messes with your dream, the price is too high. Neither let your career or your promotion or your middle age or your hobbies or your holidays ruin the dream. If there's a God-given dream growing inside you, nothing else can take priority. I'm not saying we don't get promoted, we don't have holidays, we don't have hobbies, of course not. I'm saying don't let them ruin the dream. At the end of that, at the end of of chapter 50, where he says this, you planned evil against me, but God, God planned it for good. to bring about the present result, the survival of many people, just to know this, God does plan things. And it's an amazing thing, right at the beginning there, where he's sold to the Midianites. I I spent a little bit of time this morning looking at the maps in the back of the Bible, trying to just work out what journey these Ishmaelites, these Midianites might have taken and and how far it would be. And and I reckon they would have, they probably set off several months earlier. Because it says their camels were filled with, with resins and spices and herbs and and so these are tradesmen who've left, um, left a place, Gilead, and have traveled, traveled to Dothan. And, and that was a journey of, of, of many, many miles. And they're tradesmen without HS2 on their camels, stopping from place to place to sell their goods and sell their wares and trade and maybe stay a few days in the different markets along the way. And here's a thing. At just the time that Joseph is in the pit, they come over the horizon. Not knowing that months beforehand, God would determine when they arrived at the pit. Every decision they took to stay another day in this marketplace or or leave a bit earlier in this town, all were orchestrated by God to get them to the pit just on time. God plans things. God planned evil against me, but God, you planned evil against me, but God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many. If they'd not arrived there at just that moment and the brothers had changed their mind and decided to sell him to them, the journey to the palace would not have begun. But they arrived at the pit at just the right time. And you may feel your dreams are um, off track or a long way off or a long time coming or you may feel you're in a pit. You may even feel imprisoned. Just want to encourage you, friends, hold on till the palace is in view. God, God planned today more than many months ago. Much more. Psalm 139, verse 16 will give you an idea of when he planned it. God planned today, and he'll provide your next step at just the right time.
the power of our dreams. You have a superpower. It's the power of your dreams. It's a fantastic, it's an amazing, it's an awesome power. And what God's spoken and, and shown you or is stirring in you or what you are imagining or what, 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 what's beginning to grow inside you, dreams that God has given you, don't let go of them. He will interpret them for you. He will show you how to take the next steps. I felt the Lord spoke specifically to me yesterday as I'm thinking about this. For somebody that would be here this morning as a visitor, and your dream is to come through, to get through a crippling identity crisis. And you come this morning and you're a visitor here, but you feel crippled with an identity crisis, who you are. And your dream is to come through that. And you've asked if that could ever be the case. And the word of the Lord to you is yes, he can bring you through it, but you need to come under godly authority. The power of dreams. The second superpower we have is the power of our seed. This is, a, this is a story, as it reaches its climax in Egypt, it's all about the seed, it's all about the grain. It's about a nation trying to stay alive and desperate to get their hands on seed, on grain. Chapter 42, verse 2, Joseph's, um, or, or Jacob rather, says, go down to Go down to Egypt and buy some for us so that we will live and not die. And then again in chapter, uh, chapter 47, verse 19, this is the, the other Egyptians now, give us seed, towards the end of that verse, give us seed so that we can live and not die. Give us seed so we can live and not die. The most valuable commodity in the land was seed because it had power to sustain life, because seed was the guarantee of the future. Jesus said, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone, but if it, if it, if it goes into the ground, it will bring forth a harvest. Without seed, there's nothing to sow and there's no harvest and life ceases. And the survival of these people depended, as it still does, on sowing and reaping. Amen. On sowing and reaping. On planting seed and harvesting a crop. You know, in, um, in, in gen earlier on in Genesis, the Lord, after the flood, he says, as long as he makes his promise, puts the rainbow in the sky, he says, I will never destroy the earth again. And part of the promise is, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest will not cease. There'll always be the opportunity to sow seed. There'll always be the opportunity to reap a harvest. Seed time and harvest will not cease. Well, the thing is, folks, it is seed time. You still have to sow seed in seed time. This is seed time. This is sowing time. Some of the testimonies we've heard are fantastic 
of people sowing a good seed. This is seed time. And if we're going to move from maintenance mode into mission mode, we have to sow way more seed. It said, there's a verse in um, Mark chapter 4. It says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A farmer went out and he scattered his seed. It's, it's not an overly precise operation. It's what Carol described as random acts of kindness. I know that's a popular phrase. It, this is sowing our seed liberally. You see, you and I, folks, are carriers of seed, of life, of hope, of the future. And God expects us to be part of a continual cycle of sowing and reaping and sowing and reaping. And what I sow today enables me to reap tomorrow. What I reap today is because I sowed yesterday. My future depends on how I sow seed. If I sow generously, I'll reap generously. If I stop sowing, I'll stop reaping. You can determine, we can determine our future by what we sow today. We just brought our tithes and our offerings. I'm not talking just about money, but what we, what we sow is part of the guarantee of our future. Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, um, the Lord gives you bread for eating and seed for sowing. That's in um, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10. The Lord provides bread for eating and seed for sowing. Now think about that. God provides us with two things, but they might look similar. Bread that's for eating, that's, that's for me, that's, that's to sustain me, that's for now, that's for today, and seed for sowing. That's not for me, necessarily. It's not for today, that's to sow for the future. Bread for seed, seed for sowing. Some people are eating their seed, maybe even sowing their bread. We have to know what's for now, what's to eat, what's to enjoy for now, and what's not for me. Out of everything I have, what's my seed? Some of it's bread, some of it's seed. Don't, don't eat your seed. That's for sowing. Does this make sense? Yeah. Seed comes in many forms, doesn't it? And, 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 and we're seed carriers. We're carriers, sources of life. I hope I can express this. This room is full of seed. Potential. The fact that we know the Lord is, is seed to others, is a source of life to others. Beautiful potential, faith, hope, healing, the gospel we carry, the testimony we have, the opportunity, to, to, the opportunity to connect with heaven and pray for somebody is a tremendous seed. The opportunity to be on holiday enjoying something special. Is it some number of years marriage? 50, 60. 60 years of marriage. 50. 60. 60 years of marriage. Had to pull that out of them. And to be on holiday and to, and to be able to just share the enjoyment of what we're doing with others around us. That's seed. It's seed. We're full of seed. Our time, our talents, our cars, our houses, our gifts, our property, our assets, our money, it's all seed. You know, it says of Joseph, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph. The Lord blesses the prison because of Joseph. The Lord blesses the nation because of Joseph. God goes with you. God was with him. 
God is with you. You're good to be around. Many people, how, how, many, of you, how many of you have a job, work in somewhere? How many of you have colleagues? Yeah? You know, your colleagues may not realize this, but your workplace is blessed because you're there. Amen. Because God is with you. God is with you, and he's, and he's filled your bag with seed, and you have so much to sow. So much to sow. I wonder if I could just, um, just do a little experiment here. Richard Pemberton cannot participate in this. I'm going to just hand these seeds out to a few people. This is Joshua. He's just moved to Hinkley. He's a very good man. Take a seed. Just tell me what you think it is. Uh, Jean. A seed. What do you think this is? Won't hurt, honestly. It's not poisonous. John? Wake up. Here I come. I know you're visiting us, but what do you think that is? Any ideas? What are you, what are you, what are you looking at? Scattering liberally. Okay, what, what have you got in your hand? It's a seed, correct. I was hoping for a little more than that. It's a seed. It is a melon seed. Huh? Yes. Melon seed. Any, any, any offers on? Apple seed? Sunflower seed? It is, in fact, a sunflower seed. Okay. But uh, I want you to look again and tell me what you're looking at. I know it's a sun. Okay, it's not just a sunflower seed, it's a sunflower. A sunflower? A sunflower factory. It's many sunflowers. Is there anything else that it could be? Pretty. I'm looking at something beautiful, Jess. Could be life. It could be attractive to that, that, okay, could be, this could be attractive to other people. So what else might it be? Could be oil, could be food, could be sustenance, could be a bouquet for somebody in hospital, could be more seed, could be a pick-me-up, could be a display of splendor and beauty. What else might that be? You don't know until you plant it, good point. Anything else? Could be some food to eat. Could be the future. A picture could be a picture. It could be it could be the, the object of a still life painting. Sunflowers. That that might be a winner, that one. That that could work. See the thing is, folks, you've got to look beyond. <laughs> we've got to look beyond the obvious. 
I've got another little example. Um, either very deserving candidate. John, what is that? <laughs> it's a banknote, ten pound note. It's a ten pound note. <laughs> is that all it is? Yeah. A ten pound note. Where's Paddy? So this, this chap had an 18th birthday this weekend and he didn't invite me to his party. However, <laughs> what's that, Paddy? Okay, a 20 pound note. Okay, a 10 so that's the obvious. It's a 10 pound note. It's a 20 pound note, but tell me some more. What is it? It's a, it's an entry ticket to something. It could be some food. It could be fuel. It could be a blessing to somebody. It's got some spending power. What might it be spent on? Seeds. Seeds. <laughs> could be spent on some sun, more sunflower seeds. You'd get a lot for that. It could be, it could be some tea and coffee. It could, be, it could be the lighting in the main hall for a week. I have no idea. It, you know what? That could be a month of schooling for somebody in Kenya. That could be a meal for somebody in need. That could be a great place. That could be cinema tickets for a couple of people. Could be a KFC big bucket of horrible food or something. <laughs> could be all sorts of things. We must not be fooled by the size of the seed or the outward Marks and Spencer something or other. Wow. Could be, a, could be an M&S meal. It could be life-changing life for somebody. Your seed has the potential to bless and multiply and meet needs that you can't imagine. All the seed, I love this thought, all the seed we need for all the future that God's planned for us, everything we need is here in seed form. It's here already. In other words, all the witnessing, all the testimony, all the healing power, all the, all the godly counsel, all the pastoral love and care to gather and transform thousands of people is here in seed form. What we've got here can multiply. What we multiply to can multiply again. As Chris Alton showed me something in Genesis a while ago that really blessed me where it says, at the end of the um, sixth day, God did all the creating. You've heard me say this before. It, it was all created then. Nothing that's ever come forth on the earth. No tree that's ever sprung up. No sunflower that's ever sprung forth was not there in seed form, albeit many generations earlier on the day God finished creating everything. It was all there. Everything we see is because of what was there at the beginning and how those seeds have borne fruit after them. It was a tremendous thought. God, can, God built into the universe every force and dynamic, supernatural, natural, physical, astronomical power that I don't understand that has enabled the universe to keep growing ever since was all there at the beginning. God hasn't put more stuff into creation. He's not added to it. It's all, and in the same way, everything we will become is here in seed form. Do you understand what I'm trying quite badly to express here? 
All the seed we need is here. And like Joseph, we are to use the seed we have right now to feed the world. The world is starving, and we have seed. And that seed will deliver people from life to death. At the end of, the, at the, end of um, the story where Jacob is giving a blessing over each of his sons, he describes Joseph in this way. He's a fruitful vine beside a spring, and its branches climb over the wall. We need to do some of that. Climb over the wall. Get outside. Climb over the wall. And let our fruitfulness go into other places, climbing over the wall, crossing boundaries, going into new places. Even at the end of his life, Joseph didn't stop being a source of hope and promise because his final instruction is, take these bones of mine and take them back to the promised land. He's in Egypt. And hundreds of years later, Joseph's bones are taken. Even in his dying, he continued to be a seed because he's promising a future exodus. They will leave the land. They will leave the slavery. They'll go into freedom. And Joseph's bones are going to be taken with them. Number three, and finally, your third superpower, if you are willing to accept it, is the power of your serve, which is greater than Nadal's. (laughs) Right back at the beginning in in, um, chapter 39, and verse 2, it says this, the Lord, 39.2, the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man serving in the household of his Egyptian master. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man serving. You know, as we've seen, wherever Joseph was, he served. And wherever he served, he had success. And he succeeded because he served wherever he was. And, and we, wherever we may be, whether it's at school, at uni, at work, in the nail bar, at college, in your apprenticeship, wherever we are, we can succeed when we serve. That's not about serving here in in church life, although that's part of it, but it's about serving. It's about being a servant. And Joseph served so well that wherever he was, and we hear this again and again, his masters had nothing to be concerned about because Joseph was there. What a tremendous testimony for our church that wherever the people of this church are, wherever we're employed, wherever we're serving, wherever we're volunteering, we're serving so well that those who've entrusted things to us have nothing to be concerned about. In fact, we go above and beyond. This is what you should do, Master. Appoint me to handle all this for you. God is with me. I can do it. He will be with me. He can help me. You know faithfulness in small things leads to larger things. Uh, The Lord just wants us to be faithful in our serving, however small, however insignificant, whether others are watching or not, whether we feel it's our gift or not, whether it looks like we'll be recognized or not, has nothing to do with it. If you're part of this church, you're here to serve and play your part because we need you and we need what you bring. And a church where most people sit back and consume and watch a few people do everything is a total violation of the body of Christ. This is a battleship, not a cruise liner, as the old saying goes. There's no position greater than the servant.
And Jesus came, he says, he said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. Jesus said, I came to serve. Paul describes himself, if you read the opening verse in Romans, he says, Paul, a bondservant, a slave, and an apostle, called to be an apostle, but he's a servant first. His, his, his first title is servant. After that, his ministry. Called to be a servant. Don't seek position or promotion or recognition or reward, but just simply be happy and content and fulfilled to serve. We're going to have a number of um, areas in the autumn where we ask for people to serve. We don't want to have to bang the drum over it. We want people to step up and serve us, serve the Lord, serve the body. So that's your third superpower, the power of your serving. And I think these three powers go together and they'll be really vital as we move into our new mode, our new phase. Men and women whose dreams are outworked, who know how much seed they're carrying and are constantly scattering the good things they have and who are fulfilled serving in the body. That, I believe, will enable us to fulfill our destinies and to be successful in whatever we're doing. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.